Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire, brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group, and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jags Den Podcast, episode 48. I am your host for today and managing editor of the Jaguars Wire, James Johnson, a.k.a. at SportsGrind underscore done. Of course, you all know the site in which you can check out the Jaguars Wire. That is jaguarswire.usatoday.com, which the Jags then is the official podcast, too. So all of that out of the way, I will be riding this one solo. Uh, the guys couldn't join me today. Well, in Jacob's case, Jacob didn't see the game yet. So uh, I decided to go ahead and take this one. Uh, in Phil's case, he's kind of busy right now. So uh, that being said, it's going to be a solo pod. Uh, but nonetheless, the show must go on and we'll get the guys on later down the road to talk some uh, Jaguar. So you can follow them. Of course, Phil is at Phil the Filipino on Twitter. That's F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O at underscore Jadella for Jacob. That's underscore J-D-E-L-A. So uh, stay tuned as they'll be uh, contributing in future episodes, as well as uh, contributing, especially when the regular season comes on the Jaguars wire. As for our other various handles that you can follow at Jags Den Podcast is where you can find the podcast handle or follow the podcast handle at the Jaguars wire is where you can follow our official handle for the Jaguars wire. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Also, you can feel free to check out our archived episodes, episodes uh, one all the way up to 47.5 all the way to this one, uh, which will be up sooner rather than later on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio and Spotify. And most notably, you can find us on the Audio Boom Network with our USA Today comrades, uh, most of whom do have Wiresight podcasts. So feel free to check them out as well. So. Uh, not going to really um, make this a long one because I'm riding it solo or I say that all the time. Hopefully it won't be a long one. We'll try and make it quick. Uh, as you all know, the Jacksonville Jaguars took on the Miami Dolphins. They're in-state rivals from the AFC. Uh, and the score ended up being 22-7. to The Jaguars lost that, fell to 0-3 on the preseason. The Dolphins uh, actually improved their record to 2-1. and That being said, however... I think a lot of us would agree that based off the performance of the starters and what we saw from Josh Allen, especially who we're going to talk on uh, on the first half of the podcast. I don't think a lot of us are really upset, to be honest with you, to be quite frank with you. Yeah, the reserves, you know, when they were in there against Josh Rosen, they didn't look all that good for the most part. Uh, but still, the clinic that Josh Allen put on was just so impressive. Nonetheless, that that's really what has the Jacksonville Jaguar community buzzing, and we're going to talk on that. So uh, before we get into that, real quick, some quick hits uh, or a quick hit because we don't have a lot of quick hits on the um, on the day. 
as you all know, the game was Thursday night. And uh, right now it is Friday night at uh, 4 or I'm sorry, 845 Eastern Standard Time my way. Uh, So a lot between the game ending and now hasn't really uh, occurred. So uh, the only really thing, the only thing that we really have to discuss is basically um, the injuries that occurred, which were it was three reported injuries in the process of the game. Uh, Those were injuries to Cedric Abuhi, DJ Chark and Terrell Pryor. Now, Agbuhi was the first one to get injured. He injured his hamstring in the play where uh, you can go back and see it. It was the one where Foles linked up with D.D. Westbrook for the team's first first down of the game. I think that was in the third drive. But anyway, you can see where Agbuhi uh, went back into pass protection and he was engaged with uh, one of the Dolphins defenders. Uh, I forget his name, um, but I guess that's neither here or neither there, but yeah, he was engaged with a defender in pass protection. And after the play, he reached down and uh, felt on his hamstring. So uh, that's when he was taken out of the game and Leonard Wester was brought in into his place. Of course, the uh, next big injury was the one to DJ Chark, arguably, or no arguably in it. It was the most notable injury on the night in which he was a returning a kickoff during the second quarter, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, yeah, he he got he got hit pretty hard there. Uh, sustained a blow to the head. Uh, of course, the result was a fumble. They took it back for a touchdown, but they later called it back because Chark's knee was down. Uh, but yeah, he he was on the ground for a little minute. Uh, that the team, of course, you know, were concerned. Up Marone and and everybody in the staff were concerned. Kind of rallied around him, but he uh, he finally got to his feet. Was taken to the back. Evaluated for a concussion. And, uh, yeah, his status is up in the air for week four's game against the Atlanta Falcons. However, I mean, I would think the starters and the people that are close to the top of the depth chart weren't going to really play that much. Anyway, though, Chart could have used that play time. Uh, but still, nonetheless, you know, that just kind of gives him time to get ready for week one of the regular season against the Kansas City Chiefs, which he should be back. Uh, but first and foremost, I mean, the most important thing, especially with dealing with Head trauma and head injuries is the fact that, you know, his health, that's the most important thing here. So hopefully he makes a speedy recovery. I think it's his first concussion. I know it's his first one in the NFL. I don't think he had one in LSU. If I can recall, I might be wrong on that. Uh, But I think it's his first one. I think that being that the Jags have next week before the regular season gives Chark some time uh, to get ready and uh, basically suit up and, and hopefully uh, see some time against the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, we, we're wishing him a speedy recovery and uh, praying for his health. Uh, that being said, the last injury to occur or the re- last reported one to occur was that to Terrell Pryor, who injured his hamstring. As we all are aware, Pryor had previously been dealing with hamstring injuries uh, before in weeks one and two, which held him out. And now this occurs, which Ian Rappaport said was minor and labeled it as a day-to-day situation, so it might not be that bad at all. But, um, again, you know, with with week four coming up in the preseason, uh, that gives them time to sit him some time if if they want to name him to the final roster and have him ready for the regular season. So we'll monitor all three of those players' situations. As you all know, you know, the Jaguars are off on Friday, which is today. So tomorrow, Doug Marone will take the podium. He'll probably have more information on these injuries and any more that weren't reported. 
and I will know more on the status of guys that missed the game as well uh, that were on the injury report for week three's game. So all of that said, we're going to get into the game itself, do a little game recap. We're going to talk about the good and the bad. And uh, I guess I'll start firstly with the good on defense because, of course, Josh Allen was a part of that, and he was just simply phenomenal. Couldn't be stopped, to be honest with you. And, I mean, it couldn't have come at a better time. It came in a game in which was on national television. You know, he kind of got that exposure to Joe, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and, and, and Michael Strahan and all of those guys who uh, I think their Super Bowl is actually going to be on Fox this year. So, uh, that being said, at Miami at that. So, maybe, you know, they got a preview of the Jacksonville Jaguars who could be in the Super Bowl. Uh, early preview that is but uh yeah all of those guys all of the national analysts which we don't get a lot of praise but all of the national analysts and whatnot they were praising him in terms of his performance I mean and the Dolphins offensive line just didn't really have an answer for him and I, I mean I know like you can kind of take it a little bit with a grain of salt um although you don't want to discredit Josh Allen that's certainly uh, for certain, I know I won't discredit him because I was very impressed with his performance. But uh, Laramie Tonsil didn't play, uh, you know, who that's their starting offensive tackle. You know, they, they had a lot of guys out there that um that weren't of his caliber, should I say. And I'm talking about Laramie Tonsil. And it, it kind of showed, but still nonetheless, man, uh, for the young rookie to go out there and continue with, he had already been having a great preseason to go out there, I think he had four tackles. It was two for loss and two quarterback hits. It, it was it was simply amazing to see on a national stage um, as he just kept Ryan Fitzpatrick on his toes all day and uh, made him throw a couple of balls earlier than he wanted to and miss a couple receivers, got a couple pressures on him, moved him from his spot. And it was, it was uh, arguably, I think that was the most impressive rookie performance I've seen even though, even though it was a preseason game, albeit a preseason game, that was the most impressive single-game rookie performance I've ever seen, uh, especially for a Jaguar in terms of the preseason. So, again, you know, I know it's the preseason, uh, but that's very encouraging uh, what we saw out of Josh Allen, and hopefully we can continue to see more out of him uh, as he uh, joins that rotation. You know, a, a big thing about it was he – you know, he finally got to see the field with the starters. That was the most important part, and that's why, you know, he was very effective. Uh, as those guys, you know, putting all of those guys on the field together can free each other up, uh, this, that, and the other. Especially, this is another thing to consider, Marcel Darius wasn't out there. When they get him back, and that should be sooner rather than later, I would think. Um, but when they get him back in the anchor at that nose tackle position to anchor the defense, you know, it's going to only get better for those around him in general. So uh, I just can't wait to see all of those guys on the field as, uh, you know, that we, we saw Todd Wash do some different things, use some three, four concepts, had some three down lineman concepts with uh, Josh Allen standing up, which we have been seeing Josh Allen stand up uh, week one and week two. They had Josh Allen standing up. They were doing stunts with him and Yannick and Gakwe, and Gakwe was standing up from two-point stance as well. Uh, so they were doing a lot of unorthodox things in terms of the Jaguars alignment because we know and and they still they still are predominantly a four three team but uh, they were mixing it up and and Doug Marone even talked about that after um, in the press conference following the game you know he was saying you know we want to mix it up and show people different looks and we don't want to be um, I'm paraphrasing him here but 
we don't want to be bland. And, and that was um, impressive to say the least out of Todd Wash, who, who we kind of felt was going to be stub- stubborn and uh, didn't want to move away from those four or three concepts that, you know, him and Gus Bradley are uh, accustomed to using. So that was good to see um, in, in terms of Allen and, and the rest of the guys uh, being able to link up and cause havoc. Another positive was Dewan Smoot, who uh, this is a guy I really haven't really talked about him other than on the site and, and on my social media page, but I haven't really talked about him on the podcast. But, you know, since he's picked up that weight, he's at like 285 or whatever. He's looked significantly better. He's having his best preseason easily since he's been a Jacksonville Jaguar because in the past, like the biggest thing with Smoot has always been you know, he's been one of those guys on the back end of the roster that, you know, you're always contemplating, is he going to make it or is this going to be the year that we cut Smoot, this, that, and the other? This year he's making a strong case uh, where you almost certainly have to think he would make the team unless they trade him or whatnot because they're so deep on the defensive line. But I feel like they almost have to keep him. I really do. And not just him, Dayton Jones. I feel like they almost, if they have to, so be it. They they may have to go into this this uh the the final cuts and keep ten defensive linemen. And I know that makes you have to make cuts in other departments, but the defensive line is probably one of those departments where it's worth keeping the best rotation possible because as we all know, and especially Tom Coughlin knows from defeating Tom Brady in two Super Bowls, a rotation at the defensive line is very, very key into having success not only just in the postseason but in the regular season as well and don't forget Tom Brady beat coach uh, Coughlin in 2017 in the AFC championship I mean Doug Marone too it's Doug Marone's team as well but you know like you can look back at that game and say what if we had a better rotation what if we had more guys to throw at Tom Brady this that and the other and quite possibly the Jaguars could have went to the Super Bowl that year I mean you look at the past, that's how Tom Brady or, or Tom Coughlin has defeated Tom Brady in the past. So, you know, that's something that I think the front office is going to heavily consider. And I think I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the day because Taven Bryan, they're not going to cut him. But at the same time, he's going to probably, you know, a lot of people fear that he's going to take a roster spot from a very good player. I wouldn't let Taven Bryan uh, stop me from taking in 10 players if I had to on the defensive line. And look, they, they might have to swallow their pride and sit Taven Bryan and make him inactive in a few games or various games in the regular season. If that's the case, so be it, you know, that you just have to swallow your pride and, and own up to that mistake front office. I mean, it is what it is, you know? So I think they may have to own up to the mistake they made with him, but I would not trade Dayton Jones or, or the smooth or one of those guys that, are going to make it on the back end of that defensive line because I think this rotation on the defensive line, quite frankly, not and I'm not just saying this because of what I saw week three against the Dolphins, but quite frankly, they could have the best defensive line rotation in football and it could lead to them being the number one defense in football. I mean, I guess, you know, we got to see what they do against the run, but obviously against the pass, they would be first and they could probably make some strides against the run because as we have seen in the past, They've kind of struggled in that department in particular. So uh, shout outs to Dewan Swoop and the job he did. Got his first sack, albeit, again, it doesn't really count as a preseason sack. And Josh Allen was, lo and behold, the guy on the pressure. But uh, he got his first sack. You know, hopefully he'll get his first official sack in the regular season. We keep him around 
and uh, you know him and Josh Allen can combine their forces and and wreak some more havoc in the regular season. So uh, moving on onto the positives, uh, I guess I kind of already talked about this. Um, I got on my list here was the three four alignments they were using, the mixed alignments they were using, and moving Yannick around. So I won't talk about that, but um, I guess we'll move to the offense here uh, next. Of course. You can't mention the offense without mentioning the performance that D.D. Westbrook had. Of course, I mean, if y'all follow me on Twitter, y'all saw that I projected him to look pretty good as it was. I was projecting him to have like four or five catches, or I think it was four catches in the first drive alone and had like 40 yards or something to it. I was expecting this out of D.D. Westbrook, albeit they got off to a slower start than I thought. And that third drive, of course, as we all know, the one where they scored and Westbrook got the touchdown pass, they started to show life. And Westbrook, even prior to that, you know, he was the guy that that was marching the team down the field in terms of, you know, him and Nick Foles linking up to get to that point. Um, And, of course, Leonard Fournette, who I'm going to talk on next, that's the next guy on my list as a positive. Uh, But, yeah, clear cut and dry. I mean, clearly Nick Foles is going to look to – D.D. Westbrook as his number one guy. I mean, at least from this game show, that's what I get the impression of. And I mean, like, it's not surprising. Um, I thought that was going to be the case anyway when you look at the training camp practices and the practices in general. Well, at least since they've come back for training camp, he's looked like his favorite target has been D.D. Westbrook. He's looked to him early and often, especially, um, and we'll talk about this later with the tight ends being uh injured or especially Josh Oliver the big target guys uh yeah you can definitely expect D Westbrook to be the team's number one receiver the question is however who's going to step up and be the number two that's the question I mean obviously we're probably not going to see anything out of DJ Chark into the regular season because of the concussion they're probably they'll probably elect to sit him uh week four and he might not even be ready to go anyway but even if he is they'll probably elect to sit him and save him until the regular season. Uh, you know, will Chris Conley step up and be that guy? You know, um, if I recall, I don't – he might have had one or two passes. I know he had the pass interference in this drive that I was talking about with Westbrook scoring that uh, gave them – that put them deep in Miami's ter- territory. But I didn't really see a, a lot out of him as a pass catcher. I'll have to watch the game over again. I've only seen it once, and my freaking – yeah, those of you who follow me on Twitter, my um, stream went out on um, Fox Sports on YouTube TV. It went out midway through the second quarter, so I missed a lot of the second quarter, uh, but saw the rest of the game. So when I look back on it, I'll see how he was looking. And I'm talking about Chris Conley here as, um, you know, it's going to either have to be him or Chark step up as they did in training camp and be that number two guy. And, you know, with how it's going for Chark in the preseason it might not be him, and I'm not even talking about the injury, but, you know, in general, he he hasn't been able to make the impact plays that you would like out of him. I know he had the catch from Gardner Minshew against the Eagles that he didn't come down with, or at least that's what the refs say. So, you know, he's a guy that, you know, you would have liked to have seen more out of heading into uh, week four and, and to the regular season as well. Uh, but still, I guess we can't write him off because he's very, very talented and he's shown up in practice. Still, it's a matter of showing up when it counts, when the lights are on at the actual games. And we have yet to see that from Chark and it's starting to concern me. Uh, but time will tell. I don't want to give up hope on the young man because I'm high on him and I believe he can get the job done. We'll see in the regular season, however. So 
Um, speaking of Leonard Fournette, well, I'll just continue on and go on to him. In that third drive that I was talking about in which Westbrook scored, um, he was a guy that actually helped that drive as well. So it was a combination of, you know, Chark, not Chark, I'm sorry. Um, it was a combination of Westbrook, uh, Fournette, and the big penalty from Chris Conley. But Fournette, I think in that drive, if I'm not mistaken, he had a 12-yard gain on a inside zone play in which he just cut it up the field. And actually, Brandon Linder got to the second level on that play, too, and got on the linebacker. And uh, Leonard Fournette saw that, and he stuck his foot in the ground, and he was gone for those 12 yards. Man, he was like full head of, a full head of steam. And, of course, he trucked a uh, defensive back. I forgot who it was. I don't know if it was Minka Fitzpatrick or one of those guys. But um, but he trucked him, and, and man, he, he looked great in that drive alone. Not that drive, but that, that play alone. He also had the zero route where he caught in the backfield, and he uh, took that up uh, for, like, 15 yards. So he really flashed as a pass catcher. He had, like, two catches for 19 yards, and then – um, I think he had um, just under 30 yards in terms of rushing. So Leonard Fournette looking good under John Filippo's offense. Uh, one thing, like I said, I definitely noticed it's like the ability that he's been able to gain a full head of steam in the backfield. And when he crosses the line of scrimmage, man, it's almost like it's too late out there for the defensive backs or the guys to do anything about it. And I mean, like that's going to be important. His performance is going to be important. Heading forward, because, you know, I, I do believe that John Filippo wants to make him the engine of the offense. We'll see uh, how that goes. Of course, his health will play into that and, uh, you know, his, his his dedication to the playbook. But so far, so good for Fournette, who also another thing that I forgot to mention, you know, as we all know, he lost the weight. Uh, he came in at a certain size. I think he's at like 225 or something like that. But you can tell, like, this is a new and improved Leonard Fournette under that weight still has the power that he had when he was up there in the two thirties, but nonetheless, the explosiveness just stands out more so now than he had in the past, man. He just looks like a, a freight train out there at four F one fifty or something. But uh, yeah, I was, I was definitely impressed with him and want to see what the future holds for him in terms of the regular season. So um, yeah, that was that Um, in terms of Nick Foles, it was an up-and-down day for him. You know, he made some passes that he shouldn't have. Of course, there was the interception. I think it was 6 of 10 on the day for, like, 40 yards. I had to look up the um, box score real quick. Uh, but, yeah, there were definitely some – there was definitely some passes. Yes, he was 6 of 10, by the way, for 48 yards, almost 50 yards, one touchdown and one interception. But, yes, there were definitely some passes that he could have taken back, and there were some great passes out there that he made – as well, um, most notably, the one that stood out to me in terms of the bad passes were was the one to D.D. Westbrook. Everybody knows the one I'm talking about where it allowed Fitzpatrick to tee off on him. You can't be making that kind of a throw in the preseason. It's just not even worth it. Uh, you know, just throw that one away if you're going to go to D.D. You know, kind of protect your receiver there. He didn't protect him at all. And um, one thing I think what we're seeing out of Foles is like he's not going to be as flawless as we saw in practice at training camp and whatnot. But nonetheless, he's still going to be probably an upgrade over Blake Bortles, which is good. And that's all you ask for, especially with this defense playing the way that they have. Uh, but, yeah, I think I think people should temper their expectations in terms of Foles looking like the all pro that he looked like in practice. But 
uh, more so still have faith in him to be an upgrade over Blake Bortles, which is still enough for them to uh, make it to the postseason and perhaps even the Super Bowl. With. So we'll watch him going forward. Again, there was some good. There was some bad. Um, his night certainly could have been worse. That's no doubt about it. But, um, you know, there there is the, the bad passes and the interception on his resume that, of course, you know, you, you kind of can't ignore. So there's that on Foles. One other thing I wanted to talk about real quick is in, in terms of the good or, or before we get into the bad, at least, is, you know, obviously one thing that's going to help Nick Foles in this offense is, you know, having a tight end, a marquee tight end in this offense. As we all know, Josh Oliver is battling the hamstring injury and working on his recovery and coming back for the regular season. At least the reports say he should be ready come the regular season. But, you know, Josh Oliver's presence was missed in this whole thing, which, I mean, that could be a good thing and a bad thing because, like, you know, there's the element of surprise. Josh Oliver hasn't put any film on the field for the Kansas City Chiefs to look at week one, so he can kind of be an X factor. But at the same time, he's a guy that he's a rookie, so he could really use this preseason experience because, you know, ultimately if he does touch the field against the Kansas City Chiefs, it will be his first time touching the field in terms of, you know, getting that experience. So uh, we'll see. I definitely think he could be an X factor. We'll talk about that later down the road during week one. We're also going to have one guest from the Chiefs wire. We're going to do that weekly. We'll just get a guest from the opposing team's blog, bring them on the Jags then, you know, try something new and have them talk on our opponents week in and week out. So continuing on the game recap, uh, the bad Taven Bryan. Of course, I mean, like, I don't think you'll find many people who say he actually performed well last night. I mean, he had the two penalties, two rough-in-the-passer penalties. I mean, clearly he's out there pressing because he's not meeting the expectation of the staff or his, you know, where he was taken in the draft last year. And, you know, it, we're seeing him make some some bad mistakes. Well, at least last night that was the case, you know, and even before he wasn't making the impact plays that you would like a second-year first-round pick to be making. I mean, I know that the staff will go out there and support him, and Marone in, in week one against the Ravens after that game, you know, he was saying, oh, Taven looked good, this, that, and the other. But the fact of the matter is, when you look at it, he needs to make more impact plays, and not in a bad way like he did last night. I mean, they could sugarcoat it any way they want. Uh, you know, of course, we're not going to hear from Tom Coughlin. He doesn't talk really that much in the regular season or Dave Caldwell. So we won't hear their takes on it, but they could try and cover this up as much as possible. But the fact of the matter is Taven Bryant is not living up to the expectations right now. And he does need to step his game up. Um, And of course, you know, they're not going to cut him as a first round pick from last year. Uh, that would just look bad on the front office. But at the same time, man, like, and I, again, I do know he was a project guy coming into the mix. That's another big thing about him. But still, you would still like to see more out of him in his second year. We're not asking him to go out there and, and look like freaking J.J. Watt or, or whatever the case may be. Which, you know, just make a few impact plays here and there. Make some flashes. And we haven't seen that out of Taven Bryant. So, I mean, you would think he's going to see a lot of play time in that last game against the Falcons. And uh, hopefully, you know, he can turn it on and. And, and go out there and dominate against some of these second and third and fourth string guys like he should be. But, you know, I guess ultimately time will tell how he answers the call. So 
Uh, the next bad or the next person I have on the list in terms of the bad, Trey McBride, wide receiver, who, you know, he has a grand opportunity before him. And I think he's, I mean, literally he, he went out there and dropped a few passes and he's literally dropped that grand opportunity. Uh, although, you know, we still have week four left against the Falcons for him to kind of right his wrongs. But I think it's a little too late uh, because, I mean, you look at it, you know, with T Terrell Pryor getting very limited time on the, the field in terms of, the hamstring injury and in, in this preseason, that was McBride's opportunity to go out there and just ball out and, and take that number six or, or, or grab that number six receiver position, which still is up for grabs right now. Because as we all saw, you know, prior went out there, he had three catches for like 20 yards or so, but then he left the game with a hamstring injury. So, you know, that leaves an opportunity on week four for some guys to go out there and make up some ground and, and maybe change the staff's mind in terms of letting them on the team over Terrell Pryor for that number six receiver spot. But at this rate, I think McBride has just dropped too many passes, especially too many key passes. And if I recall, he dropped some uh, in weeks one and weeks two as well. And I think that's always been the thing with McBride. When you read about his resume, he'll show up in the early stages of the, the preseason and training camp but as it, you know, gets closer to time, the time to make the decision on the final 53-man roster, he kind of disappears and he struggles. I know I read that um, from some Jet blogs and some Jet websites out there uh, that, you know, he always starts off strong but kind of falters in the end. So I guess from that perspective, it's kind of not surprising. Uh, but that leaves the door open for other guys, you know, like, I mean, perhaps prior as injured as he's been, you know, he gets denied because he's a veteran and, you know, when he is healthy, he's a guy that can do some damage out there. You know, maybe McBride has hurt his case so much to the point where it's still going to be prior to despite the injuries. Or it could be a guy like C.J. Board who went out there and balled out as well. And um, he, he looked very, very good out there. I think he led the team in receptions again, y'all, to be honest with you. Let me look that up real quick. Yeah, C.J. Board once again had four receptions, led the team in receptions, had 56 yards uh, and five targets. So only one of the passes thrown to him w was either incomplete or batted down. So C.J. Board is definitely pushing for that number six spot, especially more so than both Pryor and McBride. Because, of course, like I said, with McBride, there's the drops, despite him being second in receiving on the team last night with three catches for 31 yards. He missed uh, he had three targets, so that kind of tells you his struggles right there. And then, you know, like I said, with Terrell Pryor's injuries, Board has been available over Pryor. So, you know, that's a guy that I would look out for to make maybe make the, the roster. We'll have to see what happens on week four. But if he continues to do what he's been doing, then he should make the roster over those two guys. But, again, time will tell, and we'll see what direction Keenan McCardell and the Jaguars decide to go in terms of that receiving course. So um, also another one of the bad um, things is I think the defense, the reserve defense didn't make the impact plays that we've seen in the past. I mean, yeah, they did lose the, the week one and week two game uh, to the Eagles and the Ravens, but you can still see them making impact plays in terms of the reserves. Uh, you know, there was the Tate Hayes interception week one. And then after that, it was Picasso Nelson with the impact play with the interception for week two, which set the Jags up to actually score their first touchdown of the preseason. You didn't really see that. Josh Rosen went out there and 
straight up. And, and rightfully so, because Rosen's a first round pick and he's very talented. But he went out there and straight up destroyed the second string guys. And he went five or seven on the night for 59 yards. Uh, and it just looked like they didn't have any answers for him. So that being said, I would have liked to have seen more impact plays from those young corners that we have been praising who are who have plenty of talent. And uh, th- those guys who, you know, they're fighting for that fifth cornerback spot. So um, expect them to try and, uh, you know, up their their play and right their wrongs week four against the Atlanta Falcons as the Jaguars will be taking them on at home at TIAA Bankfield uh, for a throwback night at that. So everybody will get to wear their throwback gear um, in terms of the fans uh, when they show up for the game. So. Those were the good and bad takeaways that I personally had. Um, again, I'm watching the film again. Um, I've I seen it the initial time, most of it, except for the part where the stream blanked out for me. But um, I'm watching it over a second time, and uh, we'll we'll see. Um, I'll make more evaluations and, and put more stuff out there on Twitter on my thoughts in general. So in terms of what to look for next week against the Falcons. I mean, I've, I pretty much said it all. Um, wh- one that I didn't really touch on all that much is the, again, going to the defensive line situation uh, with whether they're going to keep 10 or whatever guys. The one thing to watch about or, or watch during week four's preseason game against the Falcons is, uh, you know, how much more complicated the defensive line makes that decision. You know, you can have a guy – like uh, Dayton Jones come out there and impress even more against the Falcons and make it a harder decision, or DeJuan Smoot come out there and impress even more and make it a harder decision. Or I mean, I'm, I almost feel like it's nothing that Taven Bryant can do to up or lower his stock at this point. He's still going to make the team because he's a first-round pick from 2018. Uh, but in terms of, like, his outlook on the preseason, he – I mean, yeah, he can go out there and ball out, and, and you know, that'll be encouraging and whatnot, but – I mean, again, like it's against the third and fourth string guys, guys that he should be dominating. So it's like, how much can you really put into that? But yeah, you we got to watch and see how that, you know, those last p- spots for the defensive line will be distributed and, and whether or not, especially in game four against the Falcons, uh, those guys make it even more complicated because they've been balling out and, you know, they've been getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback and, and, and just wrecking havoc in general. So that's one of the key things I'll be looking for against the Falcons. And, of course, like I said, that fifth cornerback spot. Uh, who between Breon Borders, Picasso Nelson, and Tay Hayes steps up to take that spot? Because Quentin Meeks, I don't think, is going to make this team and have that spot as he did uh, last year. Uh, at least he didn't – I mean, he made he didn't make the final 53, but he was activated off a of practice squad and ended the year on the roster. So that position is kind of up for grabs. And I think you can put Meeks on practice squad, too, if you want to further develop him. But, I mean, I think that number five cornerback spot, if they decide to keep five, which I would think they would want to, uh, you know, then again, if they're keeping 10 defensive linemen, you're going to have to make cuts somewhere. But I think they still will keep five cornerbacks, uh, and it's going to come down to Breon Borders, um, Nelson, and Hayes. You know, can Hayes and Nelson make the impact plays that we saw them make in weeks one and two and can Borders, you know, Borders kind of been, since week one, he's been that kind of consistent guy. I know he hasn't made a pick or or had a fumble recovery, but he's a guy that, of those three, he's kind of the veteran. And he's the guy that the Jaguars know 
the most of because he was on practice squad, should I say, last year. So I think it's really his spot to lose because Nelson and Hayes are guys that they maybe can feel they can get on practice squad um, if they decide to um, cut them in the final cuts. And then, again, um, that number six uh, position at receiver, I'm not going to really go more into detail on that. Can C.J. Board impress enough? Because he's really the only one that I think is eligible to get that number six spot just based off his performance. Can he put up another good game, lead the team in receptions again? I mean, you would think he would because it's just going to be a lot of the reserves out there, and you're not going to really see any of the starters. And it's going to be Gardner Minshew who has that relationship with Board and sees a lot of practice time on the field with him. Um, Can he impress enough? to get that number six spot over Terrell Pryor uh, because, I mean, I think some of the other undrafted guys, uh, they, they'll probably end up being on practice squad. Uh, most notably, I think Tyree Brady, he hasn't really had the preseason you would like to say he could be a number six. So, you know, he'll kind of be fighting to make the practice squad. But, you know, really it's, it's that game will be the C.J. Board show in terms of um, making a roster spot. So all of that said – we will go ahead and wrap this episode up. Like I said, didn't want to make it uh, too, too long with it being myself. Hopefully we'll get Jacob and Phil in sooner rather than later, especially with the regular season coming up. We might can get them heading into week four's game and, and talk some, you know, talk about uh, the outlook on the team heading into that process. And I, I want to do a, in terms of a audio format or on a podcast on this podcast, I want to maybe do a roster prediction with the final cuts coming up on Sunday. And that's when the final roster roster will be made. So I, I want to do something before the Falcons game and after the Falcons game in terms of the roster prediction. Hopefully I can get that done. You know, of course with running the Jaguars think the Jaguars wire, things can get rather busy. So don't hold me to that, but we'll see. So, all of that said, you can feel free to check this episode out and the many, many other episodes that we have. 48 in totality uh, on iTunes, um, not SoundCloud, but Stitcher, TuneIn, Audio Boom, uh, Radio Public, Deezer. Uh, we're pretty much everywhere. You name it, iHeartRadio, Spotify, if I haven't said those two. So feel free to check us out on any major platform, Himalaya as well. And uh, you'll be able to find all our archive episodes, including this one. So uh, that being said, we're going to sign out. I am James Johnson, managing editor of the Jaguars Wire. And I hope to hear from you all soon. And Miles Jack was not down.